for people who've given up on church but not on God. If you'd like to learn more about our locations in Huntersville, Davidson, and Denver, North Carolina, you can check us out online at lakeforest.org. Thanks! Well, today we uh, finish up our series on Jonah, and if you are just joining us, you picked a great weekend to be here, uh, because today we reach the end of what we're going to discover. Has, ha, the story has been about since the very beginning, uh, actually what the story really has been trying to communicate to us, and, and if you're not a Christian or you're not a church person, let me just tell you, uh, I think you're going to love today's message, because if you've ever thought that Christians are hypocrites, or, or uh, that Christians say one thing but do another, you're, you're just going to love this message. In fact, uh, you might actually decide to download this message and save it because it confirms everything you think is true. <laughs> Let me catch up to speed on where we've been. Jonah, Jonah is a prophet. And a prophet is not so much in the Bible a fortune teller uh, as more of a spokesperson for God. Uh, one of the prophet's job was to teach uh, to warn God's people when they were off track or it, when they were missing the point. But the book of Jonah, as we've been learning, is unique in that it's not so much about what the prophet has to teach, but about what the prophet has to learn. Jonah, in this case, is not the teacher, but the student. Well, the story began uh, a few weeks ago for us, and one day the word of the Lord comes to Jonah. He says, I want you to go to Nineveh and preach to them. Now, the Ninevites, you'll remember, were Israel's biggest enemies, their arch rivals. So Jonah says, no way, God, and he decides to run away. He gets on a ship going in the exact opposite direction of Nineveh. And what we learned in chapter one was this, that it doesn't matter how far or how long you go, eventually you discover you can run from God, but you can't outrun God. Well, you remember God sends a storm to get Jonah's attention. The sailors throw him overboard, and he ends up getting eaten by a big fish, as if the story could not get any weirder. And it's here in the belly of the fish that Jonah finally uh, hits rock bottom, but he learns a powerful lesson. And that is this, that even in our darkest moments, God is with us. Even in our darkest moments, God is near. So Jonah says, God, I'm sorry for running. I want to turn back to you. Would you save me? And God does. And it's here that Jonah discovers his third lesson, that he worships a God of second chances. As chapter 3 opens with these powerful words, the word of the Lord comes to Jonah a second time. God says, Jonah, I still want you to go to Nineveh. I still have an assignment for you. I still want you to preach. So Jonah does, albeit a little reluctantly. Dean told us about that two weeks ago. Jonah preaches a one-sentence sermon, and all of Nineveh repents. The king, the high-ranking officials, even the cows say they are sorry. Yes, that's funny. (laughs) And if this is where our story ended, if this was the end of the book of Jonah, then it's like the perfect story. The king is happy, Jonah's happy, the fish is happy, even the cows come out and I imagine them, they start singing, tale as old as time, (laughs) true as it could be, Jonah goes to preach, cows and king receive, Jonah and the, well, fish, you get the idea, it doesn't rhyme there, but right, this is the perfect story, but the story doesn't end there, does it? And the Bible 
is so, so, so clever. Just when we think the story is over, just when we think we've seen it all, we discover that God is up to something much, much deeper. We discover that he's not done with Jonah. So today, as we wrap up the series, I want to look at three things in this passage. We're going to go through all those verses, so we're going to, we're going to take, take on some Bible today. Uh, we're going to look first at Jonah's response. How does Jonah respond to this whole Nineveh thing? We're going to look at God's intervention, and finally, we're going to look at our invitation. Jonah's response, God's invitation, excuse me, God's intervention, and our invitation. Look, at, look with me where our story picks up here in Jonah 3.10. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. You see, at this point, we're thinking, hey, Jonah, great job, man. A one-sentence sermon. You saved all of Nineveh. Mission accomplished. You should take a victory lap. I mean, this is what prophets dream of, right? He gave that sermon, and 120,000 people have their come to Jesus, their come to Yahweh moment. You would think Jonah would be ecstatic. You would think this would be the high point of, of his career. But how does Jonah respond? He's ticked. He's livid. Look at what it says in chapter 4, verse 1. But to Jonah, all this seemed very wrong. And he became angry. Literally, he burned with anger is what that word means. This isn't how Jonah wants the story to go. This is not the ending Jonah expected. And so he tears into God. Look at his prayer. Isn't this what I said, Lord? When I was still at home, this is what I, I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. And you thought your teenager was dramatic. <laughs> now, this is kind of funny, isn't it? And remember, it's supposed to be. Jonah is a brilliant comedy. Comedy is one of the devices that this book is using to open, crack open our hearts as the reader. Jonah doesn't get what he wants, so he's going to throw a tantrum. Like your five-year-old at the checkout line at Walmart when he doesn't get the candy bar. Or like your pastor on a Sunday morning when he doesn't get his coffee. He's like, I'm going to die, right? But why is Jonah so angry? Why? Well, to understand this, we need to see what's happening here. There's something just a little bit beneath the surface. Jonah is actually quoting from the Bible. He's quoting God's own words back at him. Look with me at verse 2. He says this, I knew that you are gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. Does that sound familiar to any of you? Well, it, it might. It's actually the most famous verse in all of the Old Testament. Uh, this is a part of the Bible before Jesus is born. That's the Old Testament. You might think of this verse as the John 3.16 of the Old Testament. It occurs more than a dozen times. But the very first time it appears is way, 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 way back at the beginning of the story when God formed a special relationship with his people Israel. 
You might know this story. God had given Moses the Ten Commandments. Do you know that story? Up on Mount Sinai. And the first two commandments were all about how they were to worship, how they were to relate to this God. The first commandment was this. It said, don't have any other gods before me. Yahweh was supposed to be first in priorities for Israel. And the second one was this. Don't make any idols because God is not an object from among the creation so that you can depict him with a piece of wood or metal. So Israel, they they weren't to make any idols so as to not fix their attention on the wrong thing. But what happens in the story? Moses goes back up on the mountain to be with God and the people at the bottom are like, hey, uh, where'd Moses go? I don't know. Uh, Okay, how about we make a golden cow to represent Yahweh? Yeah, that sounds like a good idea. It's a crazy story. They end up worshiping this cow and God comes back down with Moses and God is about to let them have it. He's going to take them out. But Moses intercedes and he asks God to relent and God does. He forgives them and he renews the covenant. And Moses, Moses is beside himself. I mean, he didn't actually think he was going to get what he asked for, right? And he says, God, holy cow. What kind of God are you? And this is when God says it about himself. He says, well, I'm Yahweh. I'm gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in And this becomes the truest thing said about God in all of the Old Testament. In fact, it becomes God's calling card. You you know what a calling card is. When you go to a business meeting and on the first, or maybe the first day of school, and you're asked to stand up and say something about yourself, right? Like, hi, uh, my name's Aaron. I'm a pastor. I have four kids, and I I really love barbecue, right? That's like my calling card. This is what God says about himself on the first day of school. He says, hi, I'm Yahweh. I'm compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. And like Aaron, I really like barbecue. That's what Yahweh says about himself. But do you see what Jonah is doing here? He's throwing God's calling card back in his face. In essence, he's saying, Yahweh, I knew you would do this. You always do this. You've been like this since the very beginning, Yahweh. In essence, Jonah, Jonah's angry at God for being too merciful. Do you see the irony? Because remember, the book of Jonah opens by describing the disobedience and evil of the Ninevites. But who else in the book of Jonah disobeys the Lord? Jonah! And chapter 2 and 3 are all about God extending mercy to Jonah. All about God being compassionate and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in love to Jonah. But Jonah can't see this. And the truth is, oftentimes, neither can we. There's a funny thing about the human condition, and I'll just speak for myself. Maybe you can relate. There are times in my life when I find that I want mercy for my own mistakes but I want judgment for the mistakes of others. Can you relate to that? The human condition is such that we want mercy for ourselves, but judgment for others, especially those who've wronged us. 
I was thinking about a story to try and illustrate this concept, and I kept, I was talking to my kids, and I was remembering a time I was driving on 485, trying to get on 16 going north. Y'all know that interchange, right? So we were driving there. We used to drive that for soccer games, and we always hit it right at rush hour, and there's one lane when you exit, one lane that you're supposed to be in before you get on 16 going north, and if you hit it at five o'clock, you have to wait through, we've counted them, seven green lights just to get to the front and finally make your right-hand turn, right? But there's always, there's always that guy, right, who's just going to, he's just going to skip the line. He's got his own VIP lane. Do you know the guy I'm talking about, right? And he's just going to go all the way down the front, and then he stops, and he, he has the gall to put on his turn signal, right, as if he's the exception to the norm. And here's why, in that moment, you know, I, I'm like, who is this guy? I think he is, right, you know? I find myself like hoping, maybe even praying, that police officers would just show up magically at that moment. I don't know. Well, one day, we are coming back, and I was late for a meeting. And uh, I may or may not have used the VIP lane to skip <laughs> six of the... Because you see, I want mercy for my own mistakes, but I want judgment for the mistakes of others, right? This is what theologians call... The scandal of grace. The scandal of grace. That God might actually want to forgive not just us, but our enemies too. That God's grace does not reach its limits at the end of my mistakes, my sins, my moral failures, but that it also extends to those who would fail, even those who would fail against me. And this is what the book of Jonah is trying to show us. Because you and I, look, we're, if we're honest, we think it's great if we come to realize that we are screwed up and that we need forgiveness and Jesus comes to forgive our sins and wipe them all away. That is great. That's good news. And it is. But when we realize that Jesus also wants to forgive the person who wronged us or the person who hurt us or the person that we despise, we're like, uh, Jesus, hold on a second here. They don't deserve your forgiveness, Jesus. And we're caught in Jonah's dilemma. Uh, the author, Tim Mackey, a Bible scholar, I just have immense respect for. If you've ever seen, uh, what is it called? The Bible. Oh, gosh. I, they've got these videos. I can't, uh, I wish. The Bible Project. If you ever see the Bible Project on Tim Mackey's the guy behind it. I highly commend these, these YouTube videos. Uh, Tim Mackey tells the story of an Irishman named Gordon Wilson trying to illustrate this idea of the scandal of grace. And I actually think this is one of the most profound illustrations of grace I've ever heard. Uh, Gordon and his family lived in the town of, I'm, I'm going to try and pronounce this, Inniskillen, am I saying that right? Inniskillen in Northern Ireland in the 1980s. And at that time, if you're familiar with Ireland, it was a hotbed of violence and conflict between the English loyalists and the, the uh, Northern Irish separatists or the IRA. And uh, it's important to note that Gordon, by the way, was not a part of either of these groups. He was simply in town one day with his family celebrating Remembrance Day, kind of their version of Memorial Day. Uh, well, it was on November 8th, 1987, at 1043 a.m., that a bomb went off in the village square. And the IRA had planted there. Gordon and his young daughter were trapped beneath the rubble. And uh, they were trapped there for a very long time, during which Gordon was able to communicate with his daughter. Uh, when she spoke to him, her very last words, she said, Daddy, I love you very much. 
Moments later, she fell unconscious and later died at the hospital. And this is just a parent's worst fear, isn't it? Nothing more tragic, nothing scarier. But what shocked the world was an interview that Gordon gave to the BBC just shortly after the event. When he was asked about his feelings towards the perpetrators, look at what he said. He said, I will bear no ill will. I will bear no grudge. Bitter talk is not going to bring her back to life. I will pray tonight and every night for the men who did this, that God will forgive them. Unthinkable. Scandalous. Many historians cite this as the turning point in the conflict, but not everyone was happy with Gordon's response. He even uh, received loads of hate mail from people, uh, questioning his love for his daughter, questioning his role as a father. He said, what kind of father is this? To which one commentator wrote, it was as if the people of Ireland had never heard the words before, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Does God care about justice? Yes, he does. Should people be held accountable for their actions? Absolutely. But such is the scandal of grace that a father would forgive his greatest enemy. And when it comes to God's mercy, this is the scandal of grace. We do not deserve mercy. We do not earn mercy. We do not receive mercy for anything that we have done, but solely because he is a merciful father, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. That's who God is. And this, my friend, is where Jonah gets stuck. In his mind, the Ninevites do not deserve to be forgiven. They were the enemy. They were the problem. They weren't even a part of God's chosen people. How could God show mercy to the foreigners, to the outsiders. Well, it's just at this moment when we see how profound God's mercy really is. Just as he did not give up on the Ninevites, so in this moment he doesn't give up on Jonah. And it's here that we see God come to Jonah like a counselor. Look with me at verse 4. But the Lord replied, Jonah, is it right for you to be angry? Now, notice something here. This is not a question about fairness. God is not asking Jonah, is it justified for you to be angry? It might have been justified. The Ninevites did some terrible stuff. What he's actually saying here is, will it go well for you if you hold on to this anger? Jonah, I want to be your counselor right now. Let's play this movie forward. If you let this anger turn to bitterness, turn to resentment, and take root in your soul. Jonah, is this going to go well for you? What good is going to come from it? But Jonah's not ready to hear it. So what does Jonah do? He gives God the silent treatment. Verse 5, Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter and sat in its shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. Now, I know it's hard to imagine a man going silent and retreating to his man cave, but this is what Jonah does, right? Jonah goes out, he builds himself a little man cave of resentment, and then he sits down to pout. 
Now, this little hut that he builds is nothing fancy. It's not as luxurious as most of your man caves. But in, it's what in Hebrew, excuse me, in Hebrew is called a sukkah. Everybody say sukkah. Careful. Okay, I just want to make sure you said it right. Here, sukkah. I've gotten in trouble recently for pronouncing words. It's basically an emergency shelter made out of sticks. Something that you might see on a reality show like Naked and Afraid, right? You got a picture of this little thing? Okay, so Jonah has built this little hut east of the city. What is that clue for you? Remember what else was east of of the city? East always stands for the Garden of Eden. So Jonah pretty much is convinced he's got the moral and religious high ground over and against these Ninevites. Now the Ninevites have already repented. So what does Jonah think is going to happen? What's he hoping to see happen? Well, he's hoping for fire from heaven, right? Or maybe a, a meteorite, or, or, or maybe God's going to set up loudspeakers and play Gangnam style perpetually for three days over the city. He doesn't really care. He just wants the Ninevites to pay and suffer. You see, and this digs up something. He's hoping that Yahweh will send some kind of calamity on Nineveh to make them pay for what they've done. And this is just how we are as human beings, isn't it? This is just kind of our base nature. We live in a world of payback, a world of retaliation. When you hurt me, my natural response is to want to hurt you back. That's what it is to be human. But this is one of the important lessons of God's mercy, that no amount of payback will ever erase the pain I feel. Pain that is inflicted because of pain received simply multiplies the pain. And that's what's so shocking about the cross of Jesus. Because on the cross, Jesus says, here is where the pain cycle ends. It ends with me. So here's Jonah. He's sitting out under his little sukkah. And it's a picture of what life is like when we are stuck in bitterness and resentment. If you'll forgive my Hebrew, it really suck us. <laughs> but God doesn't give up on Jonah, does he? The direct approach doesn't work, so now God's going to try the second grade teacher approach. He's going to come with an object lesson. Look with me at verse 6. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very, the Hebrew, exceedingly happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm, which chewed up the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. What is going on here? It seems at first glance that God is just messing with Jonah, right? He's just irritating him, but no, 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 no. God is up to something way bigger than a practical joke. That's not what he's doing at all. You'll remember at the beginning of our story, what was the first thing that God provided? He provided a great big storm. Remember that? Then he provided a great big fish. Now he provides a medium-sized plant, and now he's going to provide a teeny tiny worm. What's the lesson? God is using everything at his disposal to break through to Jonah's heart. Everything he can possibly do, God is using to try and get mercy into Jonah's heart. But Jonah will not relent. 
God comes with the same question. Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Jonah, it is. It is right for me to be. And I'm so angry, I wish I were dead three times. Okay. But the Lord says, Jonah, you've been so concerned about this plant, though you did not tend to it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. Should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and so many animals? The end. That's the end of the story. Literally, the last word in the book of Jonah is the word cows. What's happening? God says, Jonah, you know how you felt about the plant? You know how you loved it, and then when it was gone, you were so sad, and it was just a plant. Jonah, look, Jonah, just, just humor me. Would you be willing to allow me, the God who created, would, would you be okay if I felt that same kind of care for 120,000 people in Nineveh, oh, and their pets too? Would, would that be okay with you, Jonah? And the funny thing is, we don't actually get an answer, do we? We don't know what Jonah says. This is where the book ends. It ends with cows. And the reason it ends on this question is because the whole point of the book has not been about Nineveh. The whole point of the book has not been about Jonah. The whole point of the book is about you and me and how we would respond to God's question. Are we okay with a God who shows mercy to our enemies? That's the question of Jonah. Are we okay with a God who shows mercy to the Ninevites in our lives? I mean, is it possible that God's mercy extends to you and to me and to our enemies, to both Duke fans and Tar Heels, to both Republicans and Democrats, to both Yankees and Southerners, even Californians? Is it possible that God's mercy extends to our enemies? You know, there are some days that I think, yeah, I'm okay with that. And there are other days where if I'm honest, man, that is a struggle. I want to love like that. You probably want to love but we often find ourselves in Jonah's boat. Many of us are okay with the idea that God might love our enemies, but we're not sure we're okay with the idea that he might want us to do the same. Jesus talked about this all the time, didn't he? All the time. Jesus, like the book of Jonah, wanted to dismantle redefine for us what an enemy really is. Listen to these words of Jesus from Luke chapter 6. He says, but to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who mistreat you. And we, we or those of us who would call ourselves Christians hear words like this and we think, Jesus, are you sure about this one? Right? <laughs> Jesus, did you not have your coffee today? I mean, because this is, this is a little bit... Jesus, are, are you saying that I'm to love others the way you love me? Is that what you're actually asking of me? 
And this, this is the power of the cross when we will allow it to come and confront us. And when we realize this is exactly what Jesus did for us at the cross. It was at the cross that he absorbed all the pain and hurt that the world could throw at him. It was at the cross that he took our moral bankruptcy and prayed, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And it was at the cross that he turned enemies of God into friends of God, covered by his mercy and grace. Truly, 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 it is right that we sing how deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure. Because if we are really, really to look at the cross, if we are really, really to look at Jonah, if we are really to look at the mercy of God, we cannot help but proclaim, oh, that he should give his only son to make a wretch like me his treasure. And when that mercy When that scandalous grace permeates our hearts, my friends, it will change every relationship in our lives. Those who have hurt us and wronged us, that difficult person at work, that family member that you just, oh, God, do I really have to love them? Or that neighbor, that parent, that son, that daughter, who is it? Because we all have a Ninevite in our lives that God has placed there to confront us again with the scandal of his grace and the invitation to love as he loves, slow to anger, full of compassion and mercy, abounding in love. Let's pray.